You are now listening to the Gundog Notebook Podcast, hosted by Darrell Smith. to another episode of the Gundog Notebook Podcast. Um, just a quick little overview um, and my intros and things like that. Uh, I want to thank Dakota 283 Kennels, of course, of course, for supporting me. Greg Cronkite is the man. Um, I've really been putting that kennel to work. Um, the tonneau kennel, the tonneau cover kennels are also available now. They've been in production for a good long while. So go and check out the uh, Dakota 283 Kennels website for um, more information and details on that. Also, I have the Forever insert uh, coming very, very, very soon. So I want to let y'all know how that works, especially with Little Vegas and uh, getting used to that new kennel, that G3. This is the last month of uh, this particular promotion but, um, of course, if you buy a any of the signature line uh, Dakota 283 kennels, go buy the G3 because you'll like it. Um, if you buy any of the, the signature line kennels, at checkout, type in uh, TGDN50DD for 50% off of any of the Dining Dash products. You probably want to get the Dash 5.0 if you have multiple dogs. I'm telling you that now. Um, Lion Country Supply, guys... I'm telling you, it's training season. Go get your stuff. You're going to need it. I know you're going to need it. Because if you're anything like me, you find another reason to buy more dog training supplies. They got some awesome check cords, actually. Tangle free. Those are the ones that I use. I'm a big check cord person. Um, their stakeout, Little Vegas, is, is well adapted to that stakeout chain now. Um, but yeah, anywho, reach out to the folks at Lion Country Supply. As I've said before, as I said on the episode with Eric Munn and their customer service is phenomenal. Um, and those guys are very knowledgeable about the products that they're selling. So check them out. Um, also I want to thank the Pride Dog Food because shit, shoot, man, like they're awesome. My dogs look good. They run good. They don't carry extra weight. I do not want no big, beefy lab. I want a very agile dog. And, and uh, the Pride Dog Food does that very well for me. Also, Orvis, who <laughs> they looked out for me today. 
Guess what I got invited to? I got invited to the Orvis Guide Rendezvous up in Missoula, Montana. And guess who's already registered for it? This guy. So I'll be looking forward to uh, going and, and checking out those folks and doing some coverage on it. But really getting to know the Orvis folks more and more. I mean, they already sent me to Purcell Farms and gave me an amazing experience out there. So uh, Reed Bryant... Uh, Phil Monahan and all the folks at Orvis that you know I um, I'm starting to get to know. Thank y'all again so much for the opportunity. I will be looking forward to seeing y'all in Montana. Um, Project Upland, yo, let's just give a huge hand and a huge shout out to Will Sensing, uh, AJ DeRosa, Chet Hervey, Nick Larson, um, just. Everybody that is working with Project Upland, I want to thank, give a special, special, special thank you to um, those guys for giving me an opportunity um, of a lifetime to go down there and talk about the uh, Black Bird Dog Handlers Field Trials and work on a documentary for them. There's a lot of photos and things like that coming. So, in Tihu. This particular episode, I'm covering um, the Georgia-Florida Shooting Dog Handlers Club, the 39th Annual Field Trial. And, uh, you know, I had some thoughts, but they were more introspective. It's not about dog training or nothing like that. It kind of is, but it's bigger than that for me. Um, I had a chance to meet the guys that at one point were just Pictures in a magazine that I've ripped out and held for years at this point. Now it's real. Like I, they're a call away. They're a phone call away. So anyway, here's some of my thoughts and a recap of the uh, Black Bird Dog Handlers Trials. Also, everybody that's bought um, a Gun Dog Notebook number two, thank y'all so much. Like I was very, very um, excited about the response that I've gotten from those notebooks. And if you're interested in buying them, which I highly encourage you to do, um, they're great learning tools. And you're writing your own story. You're building your own story. You're training yourself. Just like that Wonderly train, train a dog on his own. Go to the gundogdotebook.com. Click on the merch section. It's the only product there. That's what I'm pushing right now. I really hope that you guys um, get one for yourselves. Um, and, and if you got them, send me pictures. Let me see. I'll post them in my Instagram stories. Also, with the Project Upland Magazine giveaway, I've got a few more left over that I will be giving away. Actually, I have... Uh, Let's see. I got a handful of them left over. I'm eyeballing them now. Looks like I gave Neil and Joe two more. And um, I think I got like one or two left over. So anyway, um, I'm looking forward to the next giveaway as far as Project Upland magazine. Um, send me your photos or um, tag me in the photo, the Gun Dog Notebook. Tag Project Upland, hashtag to both of us, the Gun Dog Notebook, and hashtag Project Upland. I'll add it to the story. 
Let me know how the season went. Let me know the 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 backstory behind your photo. Now get you one of those magazines. Thank y'all so much for supporting, guys. Here is the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. This episode right here, I wanted to do a bit of a recap on the Georgia-Florida Shooting Dog Handlers Club, a.k.a. the Black Bird Dog Handlers Field Trials. So, <laughs> this was a special one, man. Just, just about as special as it was for... Uh, me to go down and visit Neil Carter Jr. for the first time. If you haven't listened to that podcast, Legendary Neil Carter Jr., um, in previous episodes, guys, please, please, please go listen to that one. Um, man, because <laughs> this just expounded on, you know, everything that I've been working up to, you know, up to this point. Um, so just to take a step back, I started this bird dog thing three years ago, three and a half years ago, and I didn't know anything. I didn't know where to start, man, just to be even more, I guess, just to, to, to go even more into my previous history. You know, I started working with dogs. I started working with pit bulls and training them. Just I was living by myself and wanted a dog as protection. I <laughs> truly believe it. The best type of house protection is a dog and a gun. So, it, when I got into hunting, there were different forms and different kinds of hunting that I decided I wanted to take part in because um, I didn't really know much about it, but I knew I wanted to do it. I've always wanted to hunt. And I didn't really have an introduction to it. Like, there was nobody that took me under their wing or I didn't grow up with it. No, I taught myself. And one day, reading Gardening Gun Magazine, I saw the article that got me into this. And that article talked about the black bird dog handlers um, down in Thomasville, Georgia. And the pictures were just, they just resonated with me. And I mean, I'm looking at it right now you know, looking at it right here, the image that just really stuck out to me, number one, was looking at Neil Carter Jr. on horseback <laughs> running behind his dog. Now, that this article is came from uh, June and July of 2017. So, this, this article is almost two years old at this point in time. And... It was called Finest the Field. Um, one of the first things on there, as far as gardening gun quoted, is like when quail season winds down, an elite group of handlers who keep the bird dogs on point in the famed Red Hills holds a friendly competition to see who has a top dog. It was written by Erwin Greenstein. Well, that article is now signed. It has Neil Carter Jr.'s signature on it um, since I went down to meet him now. The next page, just going through it, has images of <laughs> images of uh, you know the riders and the handlers. 
But the image that stuck out to me was the image that made me want a bird dog. The image is actually of Curtis Brooks with his pointer, um, Tom Atali's fox uh, on the tailgate. What's crazy is I would have never thought that I would have been standing, you know, in the same group face to face with Curtis Brooks Sr. I would have never thought that two years later, I would have had the chance to meet my idol and legend, Neil Carter Jr. And now Curtis is in that legendary status with me, um, with, with, with Neil, in terms of my understanding and perception. You know, it's just so, so interesting that all of the folks in this particular article I got a chance to meet and hang out with and thanks to Project Upland and, you know, Will Sensing, who they sent down, uh, shout out to Will, amazing videographer and photographer. If you don't follow his Instagram, please do. Um, but Project Upland afforded me an opportunity to basically work on a documentary video filmed by Will about the Black Bird Dog Handlers Field Trials. And <laughs> guys, it's just a wonder to be a young African-American man who, who, who fell into bird dogs, fell in love with the bird dogs. And I, I got a chance to literally meet the people in the photos that got me started. It's, you know, for a lot of folks, like I said, it's like meeting Michael Jordan. You know, I met, you know, for especially in African-American culture, I met the guys that started this bad boy. I met the guys that started the legacy of bird dog handling. I met the guys that grew up on plantations. And for them, this is a job. This wasn't... Like, like for me, it was a hobby. Now it's, you know, a little bit more work. I like to consider what I do a little bit more work. It's a job now. Um, but these guys, the, the stakes were a little different for them. And the type of just, the type of finesse, the type of power, the type of skill that they had, but that was just incredible to watch. But also the love that they have for their dogs. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. I've been to a few field trials. I've seen a few. I'm getting, you know, more and more versed in this game and finding out what it is that I really want out of this whole thing with the dogs. <laughs> I just cannot express how thankful and blessed I am to have been able to go down and witness and have the privilege to help document an important part of my history, of black history, um, but an important part of bird dog history, man. If I could be real, there's so many black bird dog handlers that are undocumented that were the main reason why we have some of the, the, the standards and trials and, and successes that we have today. 
we've got folks like Neil Carter Jr., who I look up to. Now Curtis Brooks, Joe Fryson, Charles Parks. Those guys sat there and spoke to me and, you know, also opened up and let me bullshit with them a little bit. Talk some trash. Get me fired up about running a bird dog. I started off with a Labrador Retriever, and he is phenomenal. And I, I taught that dog based on my skill set and what I knew about training the lab. It didn't, it didn't follow no rule book. The only book that I followed was The Wild Rose Way. But it, it didn't have to follow a rule book, and it still doesn't follow a rule book. I don't, you know, I, I can say this now. I don't necessarily subscribe to the to, to what anybody says a bird dog should be or should act like or this and that. There's a standard, of course. I have a standard and a baseline for my lab. Wild Rose was the standard. But now I got a little English pointer. Now I'm really at the beginning of fulfilling my dreams and being a bird dog handler. It's not about being a professional it's not about being, you know, super well-known. No, it's just about getting out there and doing something that I've loved for so long, which is bonding with the dogs. But now, training and raising a bird dog. And there was a couple of things in my gun dog notebook, number two, that I just wrote down about, um, about the Black Bird Dog Handler's Field Trials. You know, this was just a reflection of history that so many folks just don't necessarily see. And a lot of people don't have the privilege of seeing. They just don't. Not a lot of folks talk about it. Sport Dog did some coverage of it. Gardening Gun did some coverage of it. And now, hopefully, Project Upland and, and, and Will and I, we can do a bit more extensive coverage on that field trial. I mean, I just can't say how blessed and grateful to God I am about being able to go down and talk about my history and learn from the guys that want to pass down this legacy. There's so many stigmas and so many things that were just broken down when you get down, you know, down to Thomasville. The trial was hosted at Mayhaw Plantation. It was presented by the Crozier family. And, you know, I never met the Croziers, but I, I have to thank them publicly for that. But the folks at Mayhaw Plantation, I mean, man, it's just an honor and a privilege. So anyway, on March 4th, 2019, they hosted the Georgia-Florida Shooting Dog Handlers Club 39th Annual Field Trial. Now, this field trial started back in 1981. The first winner was Ernest uh, Hudo, and the first dog winner was Kelly Pone Jesse. If you listen to uh, the interview that I had with Neil Carter Jr. in 82, Albert Cannon Sr., he won with uh, Fosherly Gray. And it, the list just went on. 87, Mal Malachi Caleb. 
92, Neil Carter Jr., 91, Leroy Clayton, 95, Joe Fryson. I mean, <laughs> it, it goes on in the 2012 where Charles Parker won. What's crazy is <laughs> Mr. Parker told me that uh, <laughs> this will be wild. These guys work dogs for uh, Robert Woodruff, like the president of Coca-Cola, the Atlanta figure, figurehead, at Each Away Plantation. Just think of, let that simmer down. Let that set in. The president of Coca-Cola is a, a huge presence here in Atlanta. I met a man that grew up on that same plantation and worked dogs for them. I've met the people that just, <laughs> for for the sake of times, training bird dogs was, was a lifetime passion and a joy, but it was a job, and having a bad dog was no option. There was no option, but these folks... What resonated with me was a lot of different things, and I got a lot of different advice from Joe, from Neil, from Curtis, from Charles. Love your dog. That was the one main thing. I want to start this whole podcast by sitting here saying, keep your hands on your dog. Love them. Love on them. You don't, you, you know, the, this is, I would love for anybody to challenge me and say that they can see better, they've seen better dog work than these guys here. The only person that wasn't a part of these field trials and is not a part of the African-American community that can handle a dog, you know, of the same caliber. So only two people I can think of, Delmar Smith and Bud Moore. Outside of that, I'm going to hold to my statement. You know, in, in my book, Delmar Smith, Bud Moore, Neil Carter Jr., Curtis Brooks, Charles Parks, Parker, Joe Fryson, these guys, these are your bird dog trainers. You know, while you're listening to this podcast, um... Think about it like this. What good information is really out there on YouTube or on the internet? Yeah, you can get a couple of good things here and there, but let's let's be real. All the good information is written in a book and passed down orally. All the good information is embedded within you. Human beings, we have a knack to train the dogs. We have a knack to train horses. It's that, that, that trifecta that has been around for ages, for decades. And we have to understand that, man. So often, human beings, man, we have some kind of jacked up way of trying to assert force over these creatures that they don't want nothing from for, but love. They just don't like in these field trials, you can't 
you can't run, you know, e-collars and stuff like that. And I've got no problem with e-collars. I'm, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's a heavy reliance on the collar to really train and break a bird dog. And that's not what it takes. And these are, this is coming from the guys who know. Joe Fryson, I sat there. He was um, our driver. So at the field trials, obviously there was a lot of horses and things like that. Well, we were down there because we were filming. It was me, Hunter Morton, and Will Sensing. We drove down here from, um, from Atlanta, from my house. Will got here the day before on a plane from Idaho. I picked him up from the airport. And um, it was a, 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 a very, very, you know, quick turnaround from the time he got off the plane, checked into the hotel, to us waking up and making sure we were out of the city of Atlanta by 2 o'clock. Hunter met me that morning um, at my house. We both went and picked up. Uh, Will got on the road by 2, 2.05. It was a four-hour drive down to Thomasville really to Boston, Georgia, which is right outside of Thomasville, but it's all pretty much the same. We got down to Mayhaw Plantation and everybody was so welcoming. But what I realized was that there were so many like unspoken names in the bird documentator down there in Thomasville that are black. They look just like me. And it was almost like just a big family reunion. They got down there. Everybody was so welcome and they were excited. Oh, y'all the camera, y'all the camera crew, this and that. And then, you know, you know how black folk do. We get to talking a little trash. And, and, and that was the energy behind it. And it was offloading horses. Um, everybody was offloading horses. Getting the dogs fired up, ready to go. And it just, I mean, they were all just ready but happy and excited to be there. And if you if you ever sat and played spades with anybody, you played spades with my grandma, rest in peace, who, you know, passed away this year. But one thing my grandma taught me how to do was talk some good cash money trash at the spades table. Even if you ain't good. And she was bomb now. <laughs> my grandma could play spades like Neil can break a bird dog like <laughs> she was good but anyway um, the competitive spirit of it man that's what I loved about it but this was a chance for these guys to show their dogs nothing else mattered but showing the dog that's all now it wasn't about shooting. It's not like any other trial. It's not on some well-known platform like American Field or something like that. No, it's their own thing. And that's what I appreciate about it. Black folks coming together, communing and 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 just enjoying each other for, for, for a day. Whole families was coming out there. I mean, they had the little babies out there, folks' wives. All the men, women on horses, horseback, mule-drawn cap, uh, uh, wagons, man, everything. These folks that didn't necessarily fit the stigma and the stereotype of what a a, a a bird dog handler 
or bird dog man looks like per se, quote unquote. Nah, man. But these guys know dogs and they know their dogs. What I loved was it was pretty much just down to the bare bones, English pointers and English setters. That's it. For those people that don't like to say English pointers, pointers, whatever. But these, and, and that spoke volumes to me, man. Like, there is some truth to owning a pointer. There is some truth to owning a setter and running them over. They're machines, man. I'm not knocking any other breed of dog, you know, but I did give Hunter some 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 trash talk and some lip about having them German short hairs. I did. But it's all in good fun. So some of the things that I kind of wanted to talk about, just more in depth with my notes on the trial. Now I got this gun dog notebook, number two. I hope y'all purchase it. Those folks that did purchase it, thank y'all so much. Um, Melinda Condon has really been an avid supporter of the podcast. Um, it was one of the first folks to purchase my second gun dog notebook. And, um, you know, she's even fired up about learning and, 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 and training these dogs. And it's good to see women, you know, getting into this industry as well. I'll talk about that as, as a minute because there was a part that kind of grinded my gears. The statement was made I learned about. But anyway, so I wanted to thank Melinda Conan for, uh, you know, working on uh, getting into bird dogs. That's the best part of it. We got more and more people. In this, in this community that are reaching out because of some of the stuff that was posted to my Instagram uh, page. And for me, it's just as important to get young African-American folks in, in this particular uh, industry and, and keep the tradition going. I had... Uh, a, a, a new friend from Instagram, Gerald White Jr., reach out and just really say thank you for, for having that stuff on. He's all the way out in L.A. Young black folk trying to get in it and trying to keep this thing going. I don't want to sound isolationist or anything, but this is definitely a, a dying art for us. And I hope to take the responsibility of continuing to push that forward. Now, what I did notice about the trial, and I and I gave Neil some 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 uh, I gave him a hard time about this, but of course he drew the first brace. They draw straws to find out who's gonna run what brace. Of course, Neil was first. Man, if he didn't set that dog off going, but what I what I noticed was his dog started to act like he. Was, was kind of get a little wild on him. Neil didn't do a lot of talking. He ain't gonna do that. <laughs> Neil messed around, got his hands on that dog. 
put it right on back up in the kennel. You don't want to act right. You don't get a chance to run. You don't get this reward. Took another dog out, ran him. And it wasn't about correcting the dog. It was just simply, we're at a trial and the dog just decided to try to get away and, and, and do his own thing. You can't tolerate that. Wasn't a whole lot of beating this and that. I promise you, I don't think Neil said two words to that dog. But he took it as a learning opportunity. And that's something that all of those guys that I named off, all of them, that was the consistent thing. Every opportunity is a learning experience with the dog. These are guys that have been doing this 40, 50 some years, probably longer than that. And they still learn dogs. Man, you can't never learn enough. You can never learn enough about training a bird dog. And the moment that you learn enough, the moment that you think you know enough, and you get to bragging and all kinds of stuff on your dog, guess what? That dog going to make you a liar in a heartbeat. Neil is just, I mean, across the board, I talk about him so much because that that truly is a legend um, in everybody's eyes. Across the board down there, everybody respects Neil for his just knowledge and, and intelligence and his wisdom on training dogs. Everybody's like, man, Neil, best bird dog trainer I know. And these are from guys that are dope. They are just phenomenal trainers. But Neil was humble enough, what I noticed, to introduce me to the guys that he called his backbone, the folks that helped him out. He was always deferent to, to his friends and, you know, um, his buddies that helped him out on the plantation. They were a unit. They weren't divided. They weren't divisive, man. Like, and so many people in this industry want to get into arguments and stuff like that with folks about a bird dog. Now, that's not how it's supposed to work. We're all unified. We are all, we, we, we can all be in this together. Neil made it a point to introduce me to everybody and, and give them the respect to say, hey, this person helped me. This person helped me. This person helped me. Man, that's humility. This is definitely humility. Um, we were in the Jeep riding and Joe Fryson, Joe had a chance to drive or got, um, got the position to drive us around. And I'm looking right here. How many times has Joe won the, um, the, uh, trophy and governor's cup? Let me see. One, two, three, four, five. Joe's won that five times. And every time, this man was so nice and so kind. Talked a whole bunch of trash. Lord, he did. Loved it. It was hilarious. But he kept going back to saying, just let a dog be a dog. He saw Little Vegas down there. I took Vegas. I didn't take Ruger. But I took Little Vegas down there. All of them said the same thing. And especially Joe, let that little puppy be a puppy. Let him be a, 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 a dog. Got, you know, he got to be a baby. He got to turn into a boy before he can turn into a man. 
I got a lot of compliments on what I was doing with, with, with Vegas. And what I am doing with Vegas is just letting them be a puppy. We do a little training here and there. But realistically, it's an eight-week-old pup. He don't know no better. We're working on a little woe training here and there at the food bowl. I talked to him about putting, you know, little Vegas on pitch and stuff like that. They're like, no, that dog ain't ready for that yet. Which was my instinct, my intuition. He's not ready. Don't rush the dog to be something that he ain't got to be. He's not ready to be right now. The best thing I could do with Vegas is keep his attention. That's that's really it. Keep him happy. Don't bear down too much on him. You know, that's what I mean, keeping your hands on the dog, having a very hands-on approach. Joe sat there and told me he won five of those competitions and five of those field trials without an e-collar in sight. He made it a point to tell me I do not use those things. And that's his stance and things like that. And I don't really use them that much. I don't rely on them. For this pointer, I know I'm going to have to. But you got to read your dog. When I decided to put an e-collar on Ruger, I, I was, was hurting him more than I was helping him. And I don't care about anybody saying, oh, you don't know how to use it. Man, it's not, I don't need a PhD to use an electronic collar. Read your dog. Don't burn them. When I I didn't start Ruger with that. So and and because he didn't need it. Dog's working too close and Ruger wants me to correct him. He wants me to do the to to teach him. Not a collar. With Lil Vegas, I'm gonna get him collar condition and everything because I'm gonna ask, you know, of I'm gonna ask distance of the dog, um, and train him way different than what I did Ruger. But even with the training now, I'm using a bunch of check cords and stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm just trying to make sure that the relationship between my pup is not reliant on any kind of external source other than me. And my own hands. Tracking them for GPS. You know, being able to reach out and touch them at two, three, four, five hundred yards. That's a different, that's a different demand. But you don't start the dog on that. You don't just get a young dog and strap a collar to him. Let that dog grow up and be a man first. Let that dog get to know who you are first. You need to spend more time getting to know who your dog is. You can't do that if you, you, you can't work a dog with your hands and, and, and quote unquote have a hands-on approach. If one of your hands got a little, you know, uh, the, the, the transmitter in it. And again, this is not to knock the collar. It's to encourage anybody listening to this podcast to really sit down and take some time and learn the dog. Stop strapping stuff to him. Stop trying to apply force in places that you don't need to. It's just not, it doesn't take that. 
It just takes a bond and a relationship with them. One thing I also loved that all of these older guys told me, just like they did, find two or three old guys to teach you how to train a bird dog. Find two or three of them that you really trust. I got my two or three. They told me to call them anytime. That's Neil, that's Charles, that's Joe, that's Curtis. I'm going to join the uh, Black Bird Dog Handlers Association ASAP. When we talk about finding what you want out of the dog and what you want out of this whole thing, I want this. I want to join this community and, you know, be a part of, of history. Be a part of especially African-American history and hang out with folks that, you know, they're, they're, they, they get it. They, they, they impressed me. They made me want to be like them in a competitive sense. They made me want to be better than them. I got a whole new opportunity to get a new generation of to be a part of a new generation of hunters from Project Upland. Orvis is offering me the opportunity. Um, Neil and them are offering me opportunity. We're trying to start a bird dog school. Come down there and train whenever you want to. Learn from, from, from the folks that have been there. And learn from people that truly care about their dogs, but they still don't take mess from the dog. The expectation and the standards are set very, very, very high. And the dog will always, you know, supersede that standard as long as you love them. That's it. That's all it really takes. Not bearing down on the dog and forcing them to do something. There's a sense of force that can be reasonable. But there's also unreasonable force. You know, I, I, for example, some people ask me why I don't force fetch Ruger. I'm sorry. I just don't like my dog hollering like that. And I'm not going to force fetch Vegas. Because I don't want them hollering. I don't need people to agree or disagree or whatever. And if that's what you want to do, no problem. But for me and the way that I train my dogs and want to go about training my dogs, I'm just going to start this young puppy off early. He's already fetching and retrieving. It's not perfect. It's not, you know, textbook. But Lil Vegas and I don't have a check cord on them. We just go outside and take walks in nature. We just go out, take walks in nature. Lil Vegas likes to pick up and hold things. Well, let me encourage him to come to me now. That's a retrieve. If he picks it up and, and, and he, he wants to fetch things and he wants to make me happy. 
Same thing with Ruger. You know, I've, I've experienced a, an even tighter and stronger bond in my own family unit by working with these dogs. Me and my wife, we've started to um, commit to taking daily walks, just happy timing with the dogs, just walking through the woods. I got a baby on the way, you know, and, and that strengthens the bond between even my child in the womb. It's all relative, man. Lil Vegas is becoming a part of the family because we're offering him an opportunity to want to be a part of it. Yes, I live in the house with my pointer. And he's learning the ways of the game. He's learning to be a, a member of what it is that we do. He's also learning his job. He's learning to love his job. He's learning to love and like running and being around me. You know, what's interesting is now that I got this new pup, I find myself going back to how I started the Gundog Notebook. Going back to talking to y'all about my journey again. I wanted to be sure to get more personal, you know, stories and updates on what I got going on in hopes that y'all continue learning from me and I learn from y'all. Folks have reached out to me, good kind folks have reached out to me and given me some pointers and tips and stuff like that. Thank you so much. Sarah Gomes, all of those folks. You know, I just want us not to rely on external things, but to rely on the love of training your dog. There's always a new day. People talking about screwing up a dog, this and that, man. I'm of the belief that, that a dog will give you a new day as long as you love them. Because you really can't jack them up if your training is rooted in, in the love of the dog and the love to see him work. I'm having more fun outside of the hunting season. I've had a damn good season. Don't get me wrong. But I'm having more fun outside of the season going back to training. I'm having more fun with my dog with a few check cords and a wonder lead. That's all I've been using. Got me a pigeon. Dog ain't ready for pigeons yet. So with Ruger, we're going to do some more work there. But with Lil Vegas, it's just reading him. He fetched a, a, a dove wing for me the other day. Dove wing fell off of my uh, pigeon pen. I had it resting on the top of it, and I guess the wind blew it off. We just outside walking around, messing, and just minding our own business. Vegas goes and finds that wing on his own. So I took it as a training opportunity. He picks the wing up, he's running around with it. He's holding. Bring it on to me. Come on, come on, come on, Vegas, Vegas, Vegas. I speak to Vegas in Spanish. Aquí, 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 aquí. I speak to Vegas in Spanish so my dogs just differentiate the commands because I have to teach them um, polar opposite. It's, it's just so good to have that training refresher. And to not and, and to have a refresher on bird dogs 
from people that I look up to and people that I've been looking at since I started this thing. You know, what I'm looking for and what these guys showed me was an even deeper connection to nature, to the dog, and through that con connection, they were able to trust that their dogs were going to perform. Curtis, Curtis came out there. He waited. He was cool. He too cool for school, man. Curtis Brooks Sr. He was too cool for school. Came out there and told us that his dog was going to win. He was going to bring that old shag dog out there. He was going to win. And guess what? <laughs> Curtis didn't lie. That dog looked so good running around, ranging out. I mean, rain, good range on him. And, you know, his, when I asked him what made you so confident, he's like, well, if you work with your dog and if you know him, you know what he's going to do. You know what he's going to do if you spend the time in training, learning the dog. He knew that dog was going to win because he, he, he's been operating like a winner since the beginning. That dog has been performing at a high level off the training, off the field trial grounds. They've been putting in the work and the time to do everything they needed to do and not making excuses for why things happen this way or why things happen that way and keeping the standard high. So that was, you know, just something that you know, just really, really, really resonated with me. It was so cool about, you know, getting out there training and giving me information and pointers and things like that. But all of them came down to be the best thing. They just, just let the dog grow up. Let him grow up. Now, One thing that did kind of resonate with me and kind of just struck my chord, I met a young lady out there. Um, she worked for one of the plantations out there. And, you know, she's real nice, real cool. And I asked her, you know, did she compete in field trials? She's got a pointer, a little eight-month-old pointer. And a beautiful-looking dog. She was in a Jeep with us. And she told me something that really just drove me up the wall and kind of pissed me off. One of the owners down there sat there and told her that she would never be, you know, successful in the field trials because, unless she either married a dog trainer or dated one. What kind of BS is that? Are we still... In 2019, are we still thinking that women are on a lower, lesser level than men are? It, it surprises me that there's still guys out there that still think like that. Crazy part about it is that you can read it, you know, in, in, in a lot of these old books. I know I've seen it in, you know, my Delmar book. 
woman can raise and nurture a, a, a bird dog the right way sometimes. You know, sometimes I think men, we put too much force on the dog. We always asserting ourselves somewhere. A woman will train a bird dog way better than a man can. I, st I think so. I truly think so. I've seen hands down my wife get out there and just not do all the work and not do any of the stuff that I've done and got out there and operated my dog and handled Ruger like a champ. Probably better than I could because he understands that she loves him. Probably wanted to work for her more than he wanted to work for me. So, you know, if you see women out there, women trainers killing the game, give them big ups, man. Like, it's just such a shame that there are people out there that, that are neglecting women of opportunities to train these bird dogs and compete in field trials because of, of an age-old notion of a woman's place. That's jacked up and you can tell the girl she wanted so bad to compete she's giving her time and energy and all that stuff to the, this plantation just to be told that she wasn't going to be any better if she didn't marry or date a dog what, what? so anyway it was just something I noticed, and I don't want to get too deep into the negativity, but I'm just, you know, kind of recapping my experience there. You know, another thing about that trial, I mean, at the end of it, we did interviews. Um, me and Will, you know, did some interviews with Neil, um, Neil Sunshad, um, and Curtis. Curtis Brooks Sr., because Junior was there too. And all these guys want is just to continue the work that they've put in. Somebody to continue the work and the legacy that they've put in. Um, and then pass it on to folks that want to ask these questions. So I've just realized in this season, more so than any other, you know, time I've I've been out working dogs, I've realized this season that I think it is my responsibility to carry on that legacy. I really think it is. I think it's my responsibility to invite more people, especially more young African-American folks, into this bird dog thing. And, and it's not just about being black. Anybody can come, but you know, on my part of the culture, I would like to see more young African-Americans getting into these bird dogs. And I know my son and or daughter, because I don't know what, is, what, what I'm going to have. We don't know yet. I find out March 20th. I hope my kids pick up, you know, the work that Neil and Curtis and, and, and Joe and Charles all have set forth Malachi, Caleb, Albert Cannon, all of those guys. <laughs> this thing got to keep going. This ship has to keep sailing. The, the, the hard part about it is me having this young bird dog 
and being so fired up to get out there and training them and not doing it. Just waiting on that dog to tell me when he's ready. That's it. Just waiting on him to tell me when he's ready. This bird dog stuff has made me even have better habits as far as my own personal stuff. I got to be ready to get up every day to train these dogs, which means I got to keep my own self in, you know, good health and personal shape. I'm not out of shape, but it's just more motivation. And all of these things are that much more real for me. And getting to know people, getting to know your history Wherever you are in the world, learn whatever history that connects you to these bird dogs. That's what it's about. Not any contrived, trying to be cool, trying to be famous. Nah, man, none of that matters. I got anywhere between 10 and 14 years with both of my dogs, hopefully longer, but I, you know, my t our time is limited with these guys, and they are giving their all to us day in and day out every day. As long as you don't bear down on them too much, keep a high standard, but love them to death, and they will give you a lifetime of joy, their lifetime of joy. I mean, seeing all of these dogs running around. Seeing these handlers flush these cubbies. First of all, I don't even, I lost count after 20, 30 cubbies of wild birds. But, you know, even after that, what are you, you know, what are you in the uplands for? I think that's my challenge to people is to figure out what you're here for. Why do you have a bird dog? Why do you want one? What drives you to move forward to the next level? What level do you want to be at? There's questions like these and, and not being afraid to ask questions and reach out. You don't, don't nobody know enough about a dog. The moment that you can start speaking dog is when you know about a dog and that that that'll just bring you a little bit closer. But until then, man, we always learning. Delmar Smith said it, man. You can learn anything from anybody. You should be trying to learn from any and everybody that you come into contact with, even a baby. He said that on Ronald Bain's podcast. That episode I've listened to so many different times. I like to study bird dogs, man. And I, I love what I'm doing here. And I, I love to assume the role of introducing and, and being hopefully a positive African-American role model for this bird dog community. I hope to continue to be that. I hope that these messages and these podcasts, you know, transcend the, the, the vessel of time. I do. 
it, it it's my goal to have people listen to this 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now and carry the same passion that I have about training dogs. So, you know, with that being said, I was just thoroughly impressed and I will be at the uh, Georgia-Florida shooting dog field trials um, every year. For the rest of my life. That I will do. There's no exception for me. That has to happen. It's always the first Monday. Of every March. This year was March 4th. Now. Any of these other trials and stuff like that. That's cool. But I'm always going to be at these field trials. Because. Not only are these my people. But. I identify with the way that they. Interact with their dogs and engage with them. So, anywho, um, as I conclude, you know, I want to uh, thank my sponsors, Dakota Two Eighty Three Kennels, um, for <laughs> keeping a good home over my dog's head, over Little Vegas' head, over Ruger's head, providing me a safe place to transport my dogs. The pride dog food for feeding my dog something good. Lion Country Supply for getting me back started on this journey again. Giving me the tools that I need. Orvis for the written platform, man. Project Upland for the written platform, the, uh, the video platform. And all of these companies have done so many more things, but I, w I could be here all night talking about how great they are. So I just wanted to thank, you know, everybody for listening. And at this point, being able to follow me and listen to the point where I've now met the people that inspire me. I've had what most people don't get in a lifetime. A lot of people don't get a chance to meet their idols. And a lot of people don't get a chance to, to sit down and converse with them. So anywho, all of that being said, guys, look forward to some new content coming up. I finally got that article for Orvis written. Um, it's called A Good Season Past. I hope they feel good enough about it to post it because <laughs> I, I like it. Um, having Ashley... Um, do a little bit of grammar checking on it for me. But, um, yeah, man. Look forward to some new updates and things coming in the very near future, guys. Stay tuned. Um, damn, thank y'all. This is a huge moment for me. Thank y'all so much. Um, please continue to purchase the Gundog Notebook number two. This podcast is the reason why I started. Is an example of the reason why I started and designed the Gundog Notebook number two, so you can write your own stories. You can figure out your own histories and document it. It's not just an agenda for dog trainers. It's your personal history. It's the way that you train bird dogs. It's you. So, anywho, that's all, guys. I hope y'all stay tuned for another episode um, of the Gundog Notebook. Catch you later.